As many of you know, I was a chaplain at Florida Hospital for 10 years before I came here, also pastoring, but also a chaplain. One of my greatest joys when I was a chaplain was to go into a patient's room and to pray with them before they had surgery. Now, as many of you know, because you've had surgeries, you know people who've had surgeries, you have loved ones who've had surgery, it can be a very scary time when you go into the hospital. And I always try to remind myself of that. Uh, Sometimes when you go in, the prognosis is not good. It's life or death. The surgery might be painful and complicated or scary, or the outcome might not be uh, known. And it ultimately means placing your life into the hands of a doctor or a care of health team people for them to do their best to give you a long and healthy life. Now, being in the hospital is a very anxious, vulnerable time for anybody. I always told myself this line, none of these people really want to be here in the hospital. They would all rather be somewhere else doing something else other than being here attending to this. So that means we have people who are really here in a way against their will, against their judgment of what they would like to be doing. And so when entering the hospital, you lose much of your own personal freedoms. In a way, you have to surrender your personal freedoms to people. You lose your autonomy. You don't get to do what you want to do because now you're a patient in a hospital. And most importantly, you lose your sense of control. They tell you to take off your clothes and put on this gown that is paper thin, and it's wide open in the back. What's the deal with that? In 2,000 years of healthcare, they've never learned how to make a gown that covers an entire person. No wonder they call certain units of the hospital the ICU, because they see you when you're walking around. Whoa, hello, good to see you. And it's the, it's the confused people or the people that are medic, like, okay, cover that up. Come on now. You see all kinds of things when you work in the hospital. They give you food that you might not like. It might be cold. It might be something you didn't order. There's always jello. What's with all the jello? They have visiting hours, so people can't come and go as they want. You can't see those you love. Or maybe you don't have any loved ones that are near you that can make it to see you. Or maybe you don't have any loved ones at all. You're all alone. You're scared. You're desperate. You're in the hospital. So these are all the things that enter my mind as I look at patients. They're not just there for another day at work like I am. They are there against their will, having things done to them or their loved ones that they'd really rather not have done. They're about to enter this world of pain and medication and anesthesia and cutting and removals and diagnoses and perhaps a new normal as they go forward. And the employees in a hospital, they come in any time they want, don't they? They flip on the light 24 hours a day. Sleep is a precious commodity when you're a patient in the hospital. 
You don't go to the hospital to get well. You go to the hospital to get well enough to go home to get well. Because when you're in the hospital, you are just there to get through to this thing, so now you're able to go home. Because you're not going to rest in the hospital. There's people coming in all the time. They're poking you. They're prodding you. They're taking your blood. The, the 5 a.m., uh, what are the people's names? The phlebotomists that come in and take your blood. I never wanted to have that job. Hello, Mr. Womack. I'm here to take your blood. No, oh, good morning. How are you? Here, take a pint. They need to take your blood. They need to tell you to hold your breath while they slip this cold x-ray thing under you. And it's possible while you're a patient in the hospital that you feel treated more like a specimen or a body rather than a person. And all this does is seek to increase anxiety. Well, for three years of those ten years that I was at Florida Hospital, I was a chaplain at Florida Hospital for Children. And this increases a whole other range of anxieties because now you not only have the patient who might be a baby or a little person or a kid, but you have their family and their folks around them. And so these young people, perhaps they haven't developed their own religious faith to lean on. And their parents, the parents love their kids so much and they're so overwhelmed with wishing that they could trade places with their kid. Like, I would take that on me if I could just so you didn't have to suffer through these things. I've seen it over and over again. And so I've come into the room so many times where the patient, the, the child patient's laying in the bed and there's this mom or dad sitting right by the bed who's frazzled and in these dirty sweatpants because they've slept in them all day. And, and I'll say, how are you today? And they have this look on their face. It's a smile, but it's really not a smile. It's more like this pained look. Like, get me out of this. Get us home. I just want everything to be normal. I just want everything to be okay. I just want everything to be the way it was before we found out what was happening with my child. And so for me as a pay, uh, chaplain, I never knew what I was going to get when I walked into the room of a patient. So one day I walked into the room of this young girl. She was around 12 or 13. I remember she was old enough to talk, you know, verbal, but she wasn't uh, an adult. She was on one of the more serious sick kid units. I don't remember her diagnosis, but she was on one of the sicker units and I knew she was going in for surgery that day because she had a little tag outside her room which let me know she's NPO, which means she hasn't eaten, which means she's probably hungry, and she's even more anxious as she waits for them to come to take her to surgery. So whenever I would walk into those rooms, I'm a little more aware of what's going on. I've got a hungry, scared person in bed who's just waiting. So you always got to be very careful with people when they're in beds, and you go in and you're going to give them Jesus, and they're like, just give me water, give me food. Leave me alone unless you've got one of those things. We walk into people in the hospital, they're very vulnerable. You always have to treat them with respect and concern. So I walked in and there was this 12 or 13 year old lady. There was her mother sitting beside her who had that anxious, pained smile look on her face. We chatted for a few minutes as I learned. Uh, we chatted for a few minutes as I've learned that it's not best to stay in a room too long because all we do is drain from them. What little limited energy they have, they're on battery power anyway. They're on backup battery power. And, and the, anybody that comes in the room drains it because every single person that comes in the room to the hospital wants something from the patient. The only person who comes into the room who doesn't want anything from the patient is the chaplain. 
and I always used to tell my other chaplains that, that I was training, you are the only person who comes into the room to give to the person. So don't ask him a lot of questions. Where are you from? Oh, how, how much do you weigh? You know, what kind of, don't ask him, because that drains them. Give to them something. Give to them a listening ear. Give to them a smile. Give to them patience. Give to them a scripture. Give them what they need as best you can. If not, get out of the room. So I stood there and chatted with this young lady and her mother for just a moment. She wasn't overly talkative, understandably so. She was just going to have surgery. She was hungry. But I do remember at the end of the conversation saying something like this to this young lady. Let me pray for you if that's okay. And then sometimes I would say something like, what is it you would like me to pray about? Or what's on your heart? I would ask them what they wanted me to pray about. I thought she was old enough maybe to be able to formulate that thought. And she paused, probably thinking she should say something rather profound in King James English because I was the chaplain, I was the pastor, and I was asking her what she wanted prayer about. And finally she said, I don't have any words. I thought, that's cool, I like that. She wants prayer, but she doesn't have any words. She, she's beyond words. And God, in His tremendous grace and tremendous generosity, gave me an insight at that time that was almost just as much for me as it was for her. And I said to her something like this, that's okay that you don't have any words because when we don't have any words, God hears our prayers anyway. There's a verse in the Bible, I'm, I'm still saying this to her, I don't know if I told her the verse, but it's Romans 8.26, which says, that the Spirit helps us in our weakness. For we do not know what to pray for as we ought to pray, but the Spirit intercedes with us with groanings that are too deep for words. And I said to her something like this. Maybe it wasn't as profound as this, but this is my reworked history of it, you see. I get better every time I tell this story. God doesn't hear you because of your words. God hears you because of your need. And He loves you enough to listen to your heart. If God only hears you because of your words, then English class becomes Bible class, and all at once, whoever can speaketh thou with the greatest of ease becomes the one that God hears the most. But God doesn't hear us because of our words. God sees our heart. Because Jesus sends the Holy Spirit who lives inside of you and the Holy Spirit intercedes with us before God in the name of Christ to the Father. So this young lady who I say, how can I pray for you today? She says, I don't have any words. I'm like, you are right where God wants you to be. Because you are in need and He is great and He is mighty. And I don't remember what happened with that young lady. I pray she's well. She's somewhere out there. But I would like to hope that she remembers that insight because for me, it was like I was looking at her, but I was talking to myself. God doesn't answer prayers because of the words we use. God loves 
God sees needs. God knows hearts. And so he answers according to his will and his love. And so as we break now for the communion or the experiences, the tables, any of these stations, I pray for you that each of these stations or the ones you choose to do will show you a connection that's not connected particularly to words between the symbol and the God who the symbol represents. So in the bread, may that represent for you the daily provisions of God. Give us this day our daily bread and may it represent to you the brokenness of Jesus on the cross giving you what you need on a daily basis. When you say, I don't think I can make it today, may the bread remind you that He is there for you today. For the wine or the juice, may that represent His his blood poured out for you. His life, may this represent the ugliness of sin, but the beauty of Christ to take upon you your sin on your behalf for Him. If you partake in foot washing, may that show you his servant's heart, which he said that if I have demonstrated to you how a servant should be, may you be a servant like that to each other. May the foot washing remind you as you kneel, that we kneel before people in service. Don't be, Jesus seems to be saying, don't be like the world so full of pomp and circumstance. Be like the Son of God who came to serve and not to be served. What the world needs More than anything, as Dionne Warwick said, is love. Sweet love. And the way we show that is through a servant's heart. May the anointing oil, if you choose to have your hands or your forehead anointed, may that anointing oil remind you and demonstrate the blessings of God that as you walk through the valley of the shadow of death that you shall fear no evil because He is with you. Lord, you have prepared before me a table, and my cup runneth over. You've anointed my head. May the anointing oil remind you of the blessings of God. May the cards, if you make a a card at the table for other children, may you pray for the unknown face of that child who will take that card out as he he or she tries to get to the food that he needs so much. May the card remind him that there's more to life than food. And may they smile just because of what they see on the card that you might make. May the tears, if you go outside to do the tear bottle, may the tear bottle remind you that he keeps track of your tears. You see, you just thought it might have been Smokey Robinson who says, may you trace the tracks of my tears. God keeps track of your tears. He knows each one. Scripture tell us that. I'm not just making this up. Psalm 55, 6, there's a card out there that will remind you of it. And you can take a little bottle of tears to remind you. you. You can write down one of your sorrows or one of your sins and put it in a bottle and watch it disappear as God has taken it upon Himself. He understands your tears and it's for those tears that He died. So we're going to break now for 30 minutes. And when we come back, I'll, you'll hear a song. If you're, if you're late, you'll hear a song. It's going to be at the cross. So take time, look at your watch. It's noon right now. We're going to take a 30-minute break or a 30-minute time to do these stations, and then we're going to start up again. And then after that, we just have a little bit, the children's story and so on. We'll be going home. So take some time to encounter God. Let me pray for us before we go. Heavenly Father, may each station remind us of your love. 
May you bless us as we worship, as we move around with our church family. Bless us. Amen. So I invite you to keep a lot of lines, wasn't it? Uh, the the, the uh, take-home I'm going with that is God wants to take us from drab to fab. I, I like that. I need that. That's what makeup's all about. And uh, spanks and garter belts and those kind of things. Not that I know, but I had two older sisters and a mother. Miss Chloe's going to come up. Oh, Miss Chloe's going to come up in a minute and uh, play for us, and then we're going to close with prayer. But I want to hopefully that you enjoyed or were blessed by that communion experience. Amen, anybody? Feel free to drop me a note if you liked it or if you didn't like it, because I want to I want to create feedback on how how we can encounter God. And if you made a card, those will be given to God or given to God, <laughs> given to well, yeah, given to God through the people. Jesus said, if you've come and visited me in prison, if you've fed me, if you've clothed me, you've done it unto me. So we did make those cards for God. But we're going to give them to him in the form of the little people who will be eating the food that will be given to God. I want to tell you about something that's kind of totally off track, but I'm hoping that you'll realize that it's connected totally. We have done a uh, $180,000 remodeling project here. We just got a new roof. We got new drainage. We're going to get new insulation so it won't be so hot in here in the summer. I like when the Holy Spirit heats it up. I don't like when the sun does it. We discovered as we did things that we needed to repair the steeple. And that's going to be like an additional $20,000. So we had the money in savings, but then as we talked, we said, you know what? We have not asked the congregation at all to open their wallets for this. So the reason we did this, the reason I'm asking now is because the offering has already been collected. So I don't want you to think that I want you to give today, though you certainly could. But I want you to go home, Miss Judy. I want you to go home. She taught me this line. I love it. I want you to go home and I want you to pray about what God wants you to do to help us raise $20,000 by the end of November to repair our steeple. And we're going to put it right back in savings. We're going to spend the money up front because we know that God's going to bless. And I'm telling you, we have the money, but that's not the point. The point is that each one of us needs to learn to trust God, not just with our health, not just with our jobs, not just with our children, but with our money, with our finances, that the blessings of God overflow. So I'm telling you that my wife and I are giving $1,000 to this $20,000. And I know what you're thinking. Pastor, you're rich. That's true. (laughs) I'm just telling you that, not to brag, but I'm telling you that we don't have that much money. But I not only want to be an example, I want to step out on the same faith that this mouth keeps talking to you about. I want to step out on that faith with not only these two feet, but with this $15 Steve Madden wallet that I got at TJ Maxx. So we're trying to raise $20,000. And we've already got 1,000 of it because I just told you about it. So I want you to go home and I want you to pray. And between now and the end of November, I want us to raise $20,000 because God is good. And we have a nice building here and we need to take care of it. So may the overflow blessings of God show up in the way that we take care of his building. Miss Chloe, will you play for us, please?
Interesting chords. I don't even know how you play all those things. Let's stand for benediction. Romans 8.26 says that when we have no words to pray, God intercedes for us the, the groanings that we have, that we offer up to God. The only time that word groaning is used is right there in Romans and in Acts when it talks about the groanings of God's people in slavery. God says, I heard their groanings, and so I sent Moses. So when God hears your groanings, he sends relief. So may you have been touched by God in some form, some manner today. And may you realize that he loves you and he has provided an everlasting eternal home on your behalf. He stands at the door and knocks. And you open the door and he comes in. That's all you need to do. Let us pray. Our Father, we thank you for the blessings of the communion service, of the bread, the wine, the foot washing, the tears, the one-to-one -one prayers, the cards that we made for others. May they be blessed by what we give. May all things be done to your honor and glory. We thank you that you hear us. Thank you for the skit, for the music, for the singing, all these things, Lord. We give thanks for the beautiful Sabbath we've had. Bless our building as we seek to raise this money we know. You're going to do it because you've promised to take care of us in every way, and you're doing that. Thank you, Lord, for all of these blessings. In Christ's name I pray. Amen.